Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Holy Gospel is of St. Mark this morning from the sixth chapter. It is found on page 1563, 1563 of the Pew Bible. Mark 6, verses 45 through 56. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. And while he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him, and they were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them, and he said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus, and they ran throughout that whole region, and they carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was and wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. And they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus. Today's gospel picks up where we left off from last week on the feeding of the 5,000 Last week's gospel, you may remember the Jesus, that Jesus and the disciples attempted to go to a deserted, secluded spot. They had been busy, and there wasn't even enough time to sit, rest, and eat. The people wanted so much for them, and I likened it to them going across the Sea of Galilee on a little cruise. And the problem with that, as we read last week, was that the crowds figured it out where they were going. And they ran along the side, and when they landed at their not-so-desolate, deserted spot, the people were waiting for them. And Jesus did teach these people all day all day long, and when it came time to eat, 
we read that he used a few loaves of bread and two unremarkable small fish to feed the whole group. And last week's gospel informed us this, which is astounding. But it said that the entire group ate and they were satisfied. Now in our world, many can't even imagine in Orange County or most places in the United States, can't even begin to understand that at the time of today's gospel, it is possible likely that only the very wealthiest of people got up from a meal totally satisfied. Is it possible? Is it possible that the average person of that time never had enough food to be satisfied, let alone totally satisfied? Could it have been that most of the time that the average person was a little bit hungry at the end of every meal. Now, so when Jesus finished feeding them and they were satisfied, that was really unusual. They were full. They were satisfied. And it was good because it came from Jesus. It came from God himself. That's the best bread you'd ever have. The best fish we know by the wedding in Cana, it was the best wine ever, heavenly. So these people were pretty excited. Nay, I say, they were stoked. This was great. It's also unusual that if we compare this account, this historical account in John's gospel, it informs us that the people wanted to make Jesus their king. It doesn't say that in the Mark version, but in John 6.15, read it. John 6.15, it says, I'll paraphrase, Jesus knew that they were intending to make him be the king by force. Now, you could say, well, after all, you know, who wouldn't want a king who fed them free food for the rest of their life? But they were going to try to make him king by force and feed him and teach them, entertain them, and heal them. I don't know about you, but that kind of took the whole park-like picnic thing right out the door that sinful flesh. Oh, man, I want Jesus as long as he's feeding me. Mm, yeah. Boy, things are going good. Jesus, you stay here. I'm going to go over here and, you know, you don't want to go with me. Isn't that like us? Jesus knew that. He sensed it. And so he 
got up and he sent his disciples out before they got swept up in the frenzy that was going to come. Because there were non-salvation issues that the people were focused on. They were wanting their tummies to be filled. There was work to do that Jesus had. There was lessons to learn by his disciples. So he put them on a boat and sent them on their way. He dismissed the crowds and he went to a place to pray. Now, since our Gospels tell us that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, it is not unreasonable to assume that when he got finished that he could stand on the mountain and he could look down on the sea. And when he looked down, he saw that the disciples were struggling against the wind. And one gets the impression that it took all the rowing that they could do just to keep the boat steady and away from the rocks. And Mark then tells us that it was the fourth watch of the night by the time Jesus came down from the mountain and walked out onto, not into, out onto the Sea of Galilee. Now the fourth watch. Does anyone know when that is? It's the last three hours before sunrise. And I have to be honest, um, I don't have a lot of experience out on the water, but I've spent several days, trips out off the coast here, between here and Catalina and so forth. But these, uh, these fishermen had to be exhausted. And, uh, you know, when that, that, those rollers get to going and the water's coming up over the boat and you're bailing and all of these things this is this is bad and they'd been at it for half of the night and I don't know about you but if you've ever been out and about maybe in the wilderness or something at night um, sound is amplified and you can hear things that you normally couldn't hear and maybe you can convince yourself that you're seeing things that aren't really there Now imagine this, here comes Jesus taking a stroll on the lake, and he's walking on top of the water, and these guys, thinking they're going to die, and all they could see was a dim figure walking on the water, and their imagination was pretty wonderful, combine that with fatigue, and they thought that a specter a ghost was coming for them, going to take them somewhere they didn't want to go, and they were terrified. And this is one of those times where, honestly, nobody could blame them. Most people would admit that under these extreme circumstances that they too would be seeing ghosts. However, as Jesus always does, he lives to intercede He calmed their fears as he called out to them. And he said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat. And the wind ceased. And this is now the second time in in Mark's gospel that um, Jesus demonstrated control over the weather. And then the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to tell us something that is really surprising. 
You see, by now the apostles have seen that Jesus has control over diseases, that he has control over injuries and demons and the weather and even death. They've seen all of this. And then Jesus delegated his power to the apostles. And they, the apostles, had authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And last week, we learned that the disciples witnessed Jesus feed a crowd of 5,000 with a few dinner rolls and a couple of sardines. 5,000 people. And after all of this, the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write that their hearts were hardened, that they saw all of this that was done for them, through them, by Christ, and their hearts were hardened. And that means that they still didn't have an accurate idea of who Jesus was. In reality, all four of our gospel accounts tell us that nobody Nobody understood who Jesus was until he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And it is only then that the disciples really understood that Jesus is true God who has taken on flesh and dwelt among us. So, what can we learn? What can we learn from this event in the life of Jesus and his disciples? Well, today's Old Testament lesson reminds us of one thing that we can learn, and it is the account of the aftermath of the great flood. Ever since Noah took his little congregation of seven people aboard the ark, ever since then, watercraft have been a metaphor for the church. Look at the ribs that we have in this church. Ships, boats, floating planks have been used to represent the church at one time or another. And today's gospel quite literally places Jesus, his congregation, once again, out on the water. And one thing we can learn is that the church works a lot better when Jesus is in the boat. Unfortunately, there are people who try to do church without Christ. And there's a Dr. Michael Horton who wrote a book, and it was entitled Christless Christianity. Christless Christianity. Can you imagine? And within this book, Horton documents and laments the lack of Christ in America's churches today. He laments the fact that so many churches teach a Christ that cannot be found in the Bible. Jesus gave us the definition of the Christ when he said this in Luke 24, verse 46. He said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Pretty simple job description. But even so, many churches teach a Jesus 
who is no more than a great moral teacher. He's a fine example of living a, he's a life coach or merely a noble martyr. He's a nice guy and smart too. No, he's not. That's wrong. They, they forget to teach the Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. Christ and him crucified. Simple. And many teachers uh, of, uh, in churches teach that Christ crucified in order to bring people into the church, but once the people join, they abandon that topic. Instead, they teach that Christ crucified is just the starting point. And after a person becomes a Christian, it is time to grow spiritually by means of self-improvement. The topic switches from Christ on the cross to your Christian walk, your obedience, your spiritual gifts, your ministry, your efforts, your moral improvement, your choices, your example, your lifestyle, your perfection. It is as if they believe that Christ crucified gets a person into the church, but after that, a person no longer needs Christ. Or they feel they won't stay in church. This should not be. So to return to our boat metaphor, Christ puts us in the boat, but then we leave him on the shore. And when the disciples did that, all they got was a strong headwind. They were unable to get anywhere. That's the same thing that happens to you and to me. If we try to do church without Christ, then the law is all that we have left. The law's main job is to show us our need for Christ. And if we, if we insist on continuing without Christ, then that is all of the law and its condemnation. That's what we get. And many people have become experts at hiding the condemnation of the law since it is the nature of the law to judge and nobody likes to be judged. Other phrases for the law have become popular things like this. People say they are living the victorious Christian life. They are living a life of purpose or living the sanctified life or any other number of catchy euphemisms for living by the law. All of these phrases, they sound so righteous. They sound so holy. But um, whatever people call it, it is all about what you do. Whatever people call it, it's all about you and your testimony, your choices, your example, your lifestyle. It's all about what you do. And that's law. Jesus had a simple teaching 
about how well we must keep the law. Do you remember it? What did he say? I had to look it up too. This is what he said. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Are you as perfect as God the Father in heaven? I know I'm not. If Christ is not in your boat, if you are trying to live by the law, then perfection is all that counts. And Adam and Eve only had to commit one sin to let death into the world. Just one sin. And if you are to live by the law, you cannot even commit one sin. Well, it's too late. Have you ever lied? Even once? Then you're a liar. Have you ever taken a pencil home from the office without permission? Even if you work for yourself? (laughs) Then you're a thief. Have you ever hated somebody, anyone, ever? Then you're a murderer. Have you ever had a fantasy about someone other than your spouse? Then you're an adulterer. Have you ever failed to protect someone's reputation when you heard a story about them? Did you step in to defend them? If not, you're a gossip. The Holy Spirit inspired the prophet Isaiah to write this, Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteous deeds, all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. If even our righteous deeds condemn us, what chance do we have? That is why. That is why it is so important that Christ is in the church. When Jesus walked out onto the water and got into the boat, the headwind, it died down. It went away. When Jesus is in the church, he takes away the headwind of our sins. And Jesus is the one who is the perfect husband to be, the perfect husband to his bride, the church. He's perfect. Jesus is the perfect son who does the will of his father. Jesus is the one who is perfect just as his heavenly father is perfect. Jesus is the one who gives us his perfection in baptism. Jesus is the one who takes away the sin of the world with his suffering and his death on the cross. Jesus is the one who opens up heaven for us with his resurrection. Jesus is the one who is always with us in his ascension. Without Jesus, the church is dead. With Jesus, the church is eternal. The church only works if Jesus is in the boat. The law is good. Don't get me wrong. 
The law is good. It's perfect. But the law is incomplete without the gospel. And without the gospel, the law can only condemn. It can show us that we are sinners. It can show us that we need a Savior. But without the gospel, we don't know who that Savior is. Without the gospel, we are condemned to try and save ourselves. And it is only when Jesus is in the boat, it is only when the church proclaims not only the law, but also the gospel, that we know we have salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, faith. So ever since the days of Noah, people have compared the holy Christian church to a ship. And how do we know that we are on the right ship? Well, we know when the Word of God, both the law and the gospel, are taught in their truth and purity. And the gospel is also delivered in the administration of the sacraments according to Christ's command. This is the Holy Christian Church. This is the ship that sails in the forgiveness of Christ crucified. And whenever you find this, Christ is in the boat. In the name of Jesus, amen.